Welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Lord over 700 times. But even though that term is used so frequently in Scripture, do we truly understand the impact of that name? In today's episode, Francis explains the foundational reality of what it means for Jesus to truly be our Lord and why we should want him to be our King. Father, thank you for your presence here with us. Such an honor to be in your presence. Give us faith even in this prayer right now. God, as we ask for your grace, help us as we open up your sacred word. Help us to respond to your word in a way that honors you. God, help us treat these words with honor. Help us value them as precious, as holy. Praise you, King Jesus. We praise you. We've come to honor you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's just so good to come into the presence of God with everyone and to join the angels in heaven with reverence and, and awe and just present the sacrifice to the Lord. Um, yeah, I was praying because I, I was thinking about that passage in Hebrews 4 where it says that he's, like he can sympathize with our weaknesses. And, you know, when Lisa started off worship and she was talking about, I remember that clip, that video clip we saw where, you know, Michael Jackson was there and, and these people are fainting and they're just shaking and they're just like, I mean, they're just passing out in his presence. And it was just like, whoa, like what they are experiencing and feeling for a man. And, and, and then sometimes it's like, oh, and then how in the church coming in the presence of God can almost feel like an obligation. And, but it was so hard to watch human beings like, just in so much awe over another human being. And so as we were, you know, worshiping and I'm about to take communion, I'm saying, God, help me. You say you understand my weakness. You know, I just came from overseas and I've been, uh, you know, in Africa and Ireland for two weeks. So jet lag is so real. I'm going, God, I want to feel everything I can awaken my soul because I don't. You understand. Your word tells me you understand these physical limitations and you can sympathize with my weakness right now. So help me, God. You know I'm weak right now, and I don't want to be weak. I want to, I want to give you everything that I have, so awaken me. Man, it's just so good to just claim those promises of God that you understand my weakness. You understand what's going on in me. And so God, help me right now. 
And so even as we approach the Word of God, I'm like, Lord, I, I want to do this the right way. You know, the last time I spoke, I know there's been a couple weeks without me, um, but the last time I spoke, I, I talked about addressing God as creator. Remember that? Like, like thinking about Adam, like taking his first breath and his, his first consciousness, like I'm alive, I'm, 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 I exist. And then looking at his creator and going, so you made me. I didn't exist a few seconds ago when you made me. And, and, and what do you say to the one who created you? who knit you together in your mother's womb, and we, we took some time to address God as our creator. And then we, we, we looked at his, his name of Father, and behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called sons of God, children of God, and, and trying by the power of the Spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, and, and to address Almighty God as Father. And then we talked about how we are the bride of Christ and just trying to grasp that concept of being the bride of Christ and how, how many of us struggle, especially as men, to go, what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? I've never been in the position of bride. And we even walk down the aisle as, you know, just, just to, to feel and to experience. And, okay, what would that be like? What is, the, what is this marriage going to be? This marriage supper of the Lamb. And so trying to understand God and have a, a more complete picture of Him, to worship Him as Creator, to worship Him as Father, to worship Him as Husband. And yet the Bible gives another name for God. In fact, in the New Testament, over 700 times it refers to Jesus as Lord. And I want to talk about that because I always say if God says something 700 times, we should listen. I say that a lot. <laughs> okay, it, it, it's this idea of, and, and I probably should have started with this, you know, as far as, but, but sometimes I just assume, I assume we all know that Jesus is Lord. But nowadays, that's not something to just assume, that we understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The word Lord means master. It uh, sometimes was uh, the word that they would use when they referred to a landowner. He was Lord of that land. He owned that land. So that's the word in the Greek, the kyrios, that, it, that it, it means master. It's like the owner of something. And probably one of the clearest explanations I can give um, comes from Scripture. And it's and, and it's from our reading in Luke, in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. Um, Jesus asks this question, and I think this gives you a great understanding of what Lord means. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, 
and not do what I tell you. Okay, so right there, what does that tell you about the word Lord? Yeah, that if someone is Lord, he expects you to do what he tells you to do. That's what a Lord does. That's what a master does. And so Jesus asks the question, why do you call me this when you don't do what I tell you? And he goes on and he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So he very clearly explains that this is what it means to have him as Lord. You obey him. And he explains this is, this is foundational to our faith, is that he's the Lord, he's the master, we do what he says. And, okay, so when I was growing up, um, back in the 80s, I was in high school, best time ever, um, best music ever. Uh, but there was this idea in Christianity where people would just pray a prayer and receive Jesus as their savior and go, oh great, now I'm not going to hell. And people start saying, well, following Jesus is optional. We can accept him as savior, but not as Lord. So, and people were believing this. They were going, okay, well, I don't know if I really want to be a disciple. I just don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and he is my savior now. But lordship is a choice that comes after salvation that you can give or take. Um, there's a lot of problems with that thinking. One is it, it really flies in the face of everything that Jesus taught. Um, when you look at the words of Jesus, I, I was just looking at our reading yesterday and the day before, and it's just so clear. I, I, just, I want the word of God to speak because I want to make sure that you haven't fallen into this idea of, I just want to be saved by him, but I don't want him as my master, as my Lord, as though there's this option there. I think at the crux of this is that idea that there was such an emphasis of salvation from hell. And that's what it was all about, rather than about the kingdom of God and this amazing king that we get to follow and come under his lordship. And uh, if you look at uh, Luke chapter 9, we read this a couple of days ago. And again, I, I don't want to add too much to it. But look at what Jesus said to all. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, 
and follow me. So this is what he's saying to everyone. Okay? He says, if you want to follow me, there's requirements. He says, I want you to deny yourself. Let him deny himself. Do you understand that that's what being a Christian is? That it's self-denial. It's, you know, it literally means to say no. It's to say no to yourself. Like your body may want to do something and you just go, no, that's not what God wants me to do. I deny, okay, so I have these desires, and, and we live in a time when people say, well, God gave me these desires, so it should be right for me to act out on them, but that's not what Jesus says. He says, following me means you deny yourself. You may have dreams, you may have feelings, you may have desires, and, but, but if you want to follow me, if you want me as your Lord, if you want to be in my kingdom, if anyone wants to come after me, then let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily. It's like a decision. I mean, I mean, think about Jesus. What did Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross? Remember, he's in agony. Okay, this is the Son of God. He is in agony. He's in so much anguish that the Bible says he was sweating drops of blood. None of us have been in that much anguish. And he's saying, God, is there any other way? I mean, God, he, he says all things are possible with you. Is there any other way? Can you take this cup away from me? But at the end, he goes, not my will, but yours be done. Okay, that, that's what it means to deny yourself. You're begging God and you're saying, God, is there any other way? Ah, you can do anything. Make another way. Is there any other way? But ultimately, not my will, but yours. It, it just shows that I'm going to submit. I'm going to come under this. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? Then you need to learn to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily and follow me. And then he goes on. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Okay, I get it. We like to be in control. God may ask you to do things that you really do not want to do. And there are certain things in your life where you're going, okay, God, anything except for this. I want to hold on to this one area of my life. I want to save this area of my life. And what Jesus is saying, look, anyone that's going to try to save, or to savor this time here on earth and, and everything that we can enjoy, if you want to savor that, he goes, you're going to lose your life. But those who lose their life, who surrender it, who come under his lordship and go, God, I get it. I follow you. You're the king. 
What do you want me to do today? I will pick up my cross every day and go, you want me to knock on doors today and get rejected? That is not what I feel like doing. But I'll pick up my cross and I'll follow you. You want me to walk away from this relationship that isn't right? Oh, God. That's the last thing I want to do. But not my will, but yours be done. I'm not going to try to save something. Just even right now, think through your life. Is there anything you would not give up? Think about what you cherish most on this earth. Are you saving that? Remember, we're believing in a God who sent his only begotten son. We believe in a God who was friends with Abraham because Abraham was going to sacrifice his only son, the promised son, I should say, the chosen one, his most valued, most loved person on the earth. He's like, I'm going to let go by faith. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? He's reasoning. He's going, look, you're going to hold on to the things of this earth? What does that profit you? What does it profit you even if you owned the entire earth? but then you forfeit yourself at the end. Some translation says you forfeit your soul. Like, is it worth it to lose yourself and yet gain the whole world? Then he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Later on in the same chapter, in, in verse 57, he says this. This is happening. He goes, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, so look at how Jesus responds to people. Okay, because this, are you seeing how Jesus' language is very different from today's church lingo? where we're begging people to believe in Jesus and asking them just to accept him. And they're like, okay, I, yeah, I believe in him. Okay, awesome, awesome. No, here people are begging Jesus, can I follow you? And he's like, this is great. Yes, come after me. No, he explains to them the cost. He goes, look, you sure you want to follow me? Because you see how those birds can go to their nest and you know how foxes can just crawl into their holes? I have, I have nowhere to sleep tonight. You still want to follow me? And, you know, and one's like, well, let me, let me bury my dad first. Then he goes, no, let the dead bury the dead. He says, well, at least let me go kiss my wife goodbye. And he says, no, if you're going to look back, you're not fit for my kingdom. This is harsh. And so it is true that God is a God of grace and we, we come to him and, and people say, well, well, it seems like that's a contradiction to grace. Aren't we saved by grace? So if I'm saved by grace, why do I need to follow him? That seems like it's no longer grace anymore. But you guys understand, what, what, what the grace you've been given is this grace to see God as he is this amazing king, and go, yes, I want to come under that. That was the grace that was given to you. Like, do you understand that with God, there's no... I mean, just think about this statement. I want to enter your kingdom, but I don't want you as king. Does that even make sense? Like, well, I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want to be a part of the kingdom, but I don't want him to be Lord. I want to be in your kingdom, but I don't want you as king. No, for those of us who want the kingdom, the very reason we want the kingdom is because he is king. And we're going, gosh, I don't want to be the leader of this kingdom. I mean, remember when we studied uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, that we're coming before this blazing fire, the one that can't be touched, where we're coming before these innumerable angels in, in festal gathering, we're coming before one who is darkness and gloom and a tempest, and, and, and to look at all of that, all the totality of what God is like, and to say, I would rather be on the throne that I, I, I think it, we'd be better off if I was on the throne of my life rather than you, almighty God. And then when we celebrate communion and we think about, oh, this God in all of his glory who is so loving that he's willing to sacrifice, ever, to give his one and only son and say, okay, I'll watch him suffer for you 
for your sins, to cleanse you completely, and you experience his grace, and you still don't want him as your king? As your Lord? It doesn't make any sense. Man, I hope you understand how good it is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And how good it is that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not just Savior. Praise God he's our Savior. But he's clearly Lord. That's just who he is. That's his title. He's the King of Kings. And so to say, well, I accept you, but can you not be king. I am the king. I can't not. I can't stop being the Lord of the universe. So to accept God means I accept him. And he is the king of the universe. He is the Lord of the universe. And I want him to be the Lord of my life. You know, when I first became a Christian and I first started reading the Bible in high school, I came across a passage that, that scared me. Um, and it was Luke, I mean, it was Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. In Luke 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it's, it's very similar to what we looked at just now. He goes, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? And here in this passage, he's saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So it's not just because... Just about every Christian will call him, you know, who calls himself a Christian, will, will call him Lord. But the point is not just saying it, it's actually treating him as Lord, obeying him, doing the will of the Father in heaven. Go ahead, next verse. Um, On that day, many... See, this is what scared me. It says, on that day, he's talking about Judgment Day, when people say, Lord, Lord. He goes, not everyone who says that is going to enter into the kingdom. He goes, in fact, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When I first read that, I just thought, whoa, this concerns me. This is why I started teaching the Bible as a high school student. By teaching, I mean, dude, I just read this yesterday. Look at what it says. And that's how I became a Bible teacher. I'm just reading the Bible and go, have you guys read this? You know, like, like you're, you're praying this prayer and thinking that's all there is to it, but I'm looking at the words that Jesus actually said. 
And he never, he doesn't ask us to pray this prayer. I mean, it's fine that you did, but there are some concrete things such as really listening to him, really obeying him. And what scares me is at the end, many are going to say, wait a second, but I did this. I prayed the prayer. I got baptized. I, I did this. I, I, I even think I, I prophesied in your, he goes, I never knew you. You didn't do the will of my father in heaven. And I remember just praying. I go, Lord, I, I don't want to be one of these people at the end who maybe just called you Lord, but I didn't really mean it and I didn't do your will. When in reality, I was still trying to save my life on the earth. I was still holding on. And you really weren't Lord of my life. I really wasn't doing the will of the Father like you were, where you're standing in the garden and sweating drops of blood, asking if there's any other possible way. But then you go, not my will, but the will of the Father. And there are going to be those at the end that really thought maybe it's because no one clarified this for them. And that's why I thought, oh gosh, I really need to bring this up again because it's a big deal for any who just think, well, I can just believe him as a savior, not as a Lord. No, that's not an option. And some of these passages really scare me for those who think that they're safe because they prayed some prayer when the New Testament is about a decision to follow Jesus, to turn from our lives. That's what it means to repent. It's just saying I'm following myself and I'm turning from all of that and I'm following you now. I tell people, uh, like when I first met Lisa, I was dating someone else. And uh, you knew that, right? Yeah. And, uh, but once I saw Lisa, I didn't say, hey, why don't you join us? No, I repented. <laughs> I'll see you later. I am going to follow, I want you. I want you and you alone. That's the idea of salvation. It's you are living your life and repentance is saying, I'm doing this 180. I was living for myself. I was thinking about my desires, my will, my dreams, my aspirations. And now I see Jesus and I go, oh, is that who he is? Is that what he's done for me? And he is asking me to enter into his kingdom? Yes, I want to come under your I will forsake my old life. I will deny myself. And even if this is a life of suffering, I want you as my king. I want to be a part of your kingdom. That's repentance. And when It was explained to me when I was... In high school, it's like you're driving along and, uh, and you see Jesus. You can't just pop the trunk of your car and say, I want you. 
get in the trunk and let me pull you out whenever I need you. It's like the, the Lord, the king of the universe doesn't come like that. I, I can't even say, hey, get in the back seat. You're welcome in my car. I can't even say, get in the passenger seat. You're welcome in my car. There's, there's a, a, a choice I make where I go, you know what? Here, I'm going to get out. Here's the keys. You take me. You drive. You are now the Lord of this body. This was purchased at a price. So now I no longer use this body to gratify my desires. I gladly, joyfully submit to you. It's very similar to when Lisa came down the aisle and she said, you know what? I want to follow you. I'm willing to come under your leadership. Lead us in the ways of God. It's just that picture now of saying, God, I've given you the keys. Honestly, I'm a little bit scared because I'm not in control anymore. And yet I know at the core of my being, I would rather you be in charge. I know you are way better than me. Your wisdom is way better than mine. And you have a will, you have a desire, and I want to come under that. And so I have to ask you, have you made that decision? Because that's what baptism is. It's I'm dying to myself. Okay, it's the death of me. You know, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this idea of, okay, whatever dreams, whatever things I wanted, I am dying to that because I want to follow you. And I want you to be the king. I want to be in your kingdom. And so in a time when our culture and even church culture so emphasizes your feelings and your dreams and your hopes, and, and we, we want to value your feelings, but we like overvalue human feelings to the point where we don't understand lordship. That sometimes God is going to ask you to do things you don't feel like doing. In fact, that's a great way to even test yourself. To go, gosh, when's the last time I did something that I did not want to do, but I know God wanted me to do it, so I did it. That's when you know, wow, he really is Lord. But if it's really hard for you to look at your life and think of things that, to think of anything that you just did against your own desire, you gotta wonder, do I understand what it means to have him as Lord? When you make decisions, what car to drive, what house to buy or rent, what job to work at, how do you make decisions? Is it like the world where you go, ooh, I want that? And then you evaluate scripture and go, okay, it's not sinful, right? Okay, I'm just going to do it. Because I don't think it's a blatant sin. Or do you surrender to the Lordship of Christ and go, God, I really want this job, but 
is not about what I want. What is best for your kingdom? I really want to live in this house, God, but this is not about my will. Where would I live if I was completely surrendered to you? What would I drive? What would I wear? Who would I hang with? Because I want to live under your rule, under your lordship. And was that the decision you made when you decided to follow Jesus? Because these are the words of Christ. You don't just call me Lord without doing what I say. And if you do that, you're like the guy who, who built a house without a foundation. The storm's going to come and it's not going to stand. It's the one who obeys. And a big part of our faith is obedience when we don't feel like it. That's foundational. That's the example of Christ in a much deeper way. And we as little Christ, followers of Christ, Christians, this is what we have decided to do. And, and this is why so many before us have lost their lives. I remember when I was in India and I'm listening to the stories of these people and they're just so radical, so insane. Like, man, you've sacrificed so much. And I remember asking this one guy, I go, there's gotta be like the majority or at least a group of believers that casually believe in God. And he said, that's really not an option here. He goes, when we get baptized, we lose everything. We lose our families, we lose our jobs, we lose our status. Why would you casually do that? You know, we understand there's a cost to this. It was just this powerful thought of they understood surrender because they were forced into it. But somehow, because we live in a free country, we can almost look at salvation differently. Like we don't really have to surrender. Um, that's one of the difficulties of living in a free place. Uh, there's no immediately forced cost on you. And so there's part of us that just has to evaluate our lives and go, God, are you really Lord of my life? It's interesting, it was, I'm just reminded it was during that trip to India um, because we, at, at that point, um, Lisa was pregnant with our fifth kid and we had left everything, sold our home and go, okay, we'll just stop and live wherever God tells us to stop and live. And we're walking through the slums. I mean, you and Zeke were like little toddlers and I'm like, wow, this is the grossest place I've ever been. You know, and Rachel and Mercy and Lisa were walking, you know, and she's throwing up everywhere because she's pregnant and it smells. And, and we're in this slum going, at least in my mind, I'm going, I would stay here. This is the worst place I've ever been. And yet I'm in perfect peace. God is with us here. And there was almost like this, Oh, I really am a Christian. You know, I re he really is Lord of my life. Like, he is everything to me.
We have no home. We have no place to go. And I'm at peace. He's my Lord. I'll go where I need to go. But it's a dying daily. It's picking up your cross daily. And that's where in America we can kind of fall into this comfort or get swayed into the other things and be about our feelings. And well, I'm not sure if God wants me to do that. I think I'd rather, you know, and we justify, justify, rationalize. And then we go back to the word of God. And this was so good for me reading this this week and going, yes, Lord, let me not ever forget that you are Lord. And let me pick up my cross daily and follow you. And the Christian life is a life of self-denial and dying to ourselves. That's the decision we made when we got baptized and joined ourselves with Jesus. We were saying anything. And you know, just how like when you, I just did a wedding in Ireland, um, and as they made their vows to one another, I was just thinking, gosh, you make these grand vows to each other at that moment, but then it's a lifetime of working that out and go, oh yes, that's right, I promise for better or for worse. Okay, richer and poorer, we are really poor right now. I'm sticking with you. You know, like it's, it's, it's a lifetime of acting that out. And that's the process of sanctification when it comes to us with the Lord. It's that same commitment we're saying, you are my Lord. You are my savior. And now there's a lifetime of figuring that out, working that out. But it's a decision you make at the beginning. It's not this optional add-on of, can you be my savior and with the option of lordship later on, if I choose to or not? Um, it just doesn't work that way. He's always the king. And so if you invite him into your life, you invite him in as the king because he doesn't stop being who he is. He's the king of the universe. He's a great king. So let's, uh, let's spend some time worshiping him as king. And as we worship him, maybe the Lord will bring to mind just areas of your life that maybe aren't under his lordship, that you're still trying to save from him and protect from him. In fact, Holy Spirit, would you just reveal to us? We want to know now, Lord. Show us, God, if there are things we are holding on to. Show us if the enemy has just gotten in our minds and we forget that you are Lord. Please, God, as we worship you as our Lord, may we worship you however you want us to. If you want us to get up and dance as ridiculous as we look, may we do that. If you want us to scream these words, may we scream them. If you want us to bow on our knees, our bodies, our voices, our souls, we want everything to come under your lordship right now as we worship your great and powerful and loving, amazing King, and we joyfully call you Lord today. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Crazy Love Podcast. Join us next time for a new episode, but until then, for more resources from Crazy Love Ministries or to support the work of Crazy Love, please visit our website at crazylove.org.